Hi there, this is Christy Robillard for Virtue, and I'll be teaching from Genesis 1, In the Beginning. And to begin with, I have to share that I'm especially partial to the book of Genesis. It is one of my favorite books of the Bible. I have dates and names noted in the margins, precious personal promises from the Lord underscored, and a few tear and maybe some coffee stains as well. And chapter one of Genesis is actually my favorite chapter of Genesis because that chapter always brings me to the point of hope, always, because the revealed divine design of creation rolls out with these four simple words, in the beginning, God, it doesn't get more simply and clearly stated than that. And yet those four words are the beginning of everything, including and especially our faith. Those four words reconcile what we don't understand to what through faith we believe. They are the most important words in the Bible. They are its foundation. And all of the rest of the Bible is reflected and understood because of those first four words. And just think about this. We have this incredible accounting of the creation record, which is awe-inspiring, but yet so simply stated that it can be read and understood even by a grade school child. And I think because of that, we too often are prone to read it casually instead of with the awe it is intended to inspire us with. The Genesis record is the beginning of everything before there was nothing. And yet, as we read the Genesis record, there's not one exclamation point in the entire record. Have you ever thought about that before? I know for sure if it had been my assignment to record the creation record, there would be an exclamation point at the end of each sentence instead of a period. The creation record is the most incredible scientific and historical account recorded in all of history, but it is also holy and sacred, worthy of our full attention and meditation, even line upon line. This account should create a sense of awe, and it is meant to be cherished. Read each line by placing your own exclamation point of awe and worship to the Lord at the end of each sentence, period. So... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night, and evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Genesis 1, verses 1 through 5. In the first two verses of Genesis, we get our first glimpse of the triune Godhead. The word God in verse 1 is Elohim, which is plural of the supreme God. It is a singular name with a plural meaning, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three as one were involved in the plan of creation and the process of creation. And we'll read about that plurality of God again when he makes man in verse 26. So the earth was formless and empty. But even that emptiness God created, for nothing exists apart from God, including emptiness. Did that emptiness actually contain all of the elements God used to create the world? Or was that emptiness just emptiness of nothingness, whatever that was? 
It's simply stated, but still causes my mind to do mental gymnastics. And when we read about the Spirit of God hovering or moving over the surface of the waters, I wonder, was this something that the Spirit of God had always done from eternity past? Or was this a new way in which the Spirit of God became active in the creation process? I don't know, but I wonder about these things and so much more. So when the Spirit of God moved or hovered over the waters, that word means to brood, flutter, shake, even to vibrate. The idea of this fluttering is similar to a chicken as she will flutter her wings to gather her chicks and cover them under herself. And that sounds so sweet, tender, and gentle. But remember, this is the Spirit of God who is fluttering. I think of this more as controlled, pure, raw, explosive power, more power than a nuclear bomb, actually more power than we have any comparable equivalent known to us. Just think about how large the earth is. Add to that the sun, moon, and other planets. Then add to that the galaxies, known and unknown, all of the known universe and beyond. But before any of those had any form at all, just imagine how big that emptiness of nothingness must have been. We can look up at the sky during the day or look up at the stars at night and only get an idea about its vastness by what our eyes see. But even what our eyes see, that is too much to take in. And so Genesis is telling us God changed emptiness of nothingness into something of order, value, importance, and significance, something complex and beautiful, something he literally holds and holds dear and has planned out perfectly in every detail. And so this is why Genesis chapter 1 is so personally precious to me. Because when I meditate on just that creating attribute of God, I know without a doubt that He can do anything and do anything that concerns me, including what doesn't even exist. For He calls into existence that which does not exist, Romans 4.17. Just because God rested on the seventh day of creation, that doesn't mean He stopped being a creator. That verse from Romans, in context, is about Abraham and Sarah and their lifetime of infertility. And when it was absolutely physically impossible, God created their miracle baby, which came long after the seventh day of God's rest. This is a timeless scripture verse for all of God's people to hold on to and be encouraged by. So what do you need today? Is it something that doesn't even exist? Something that is impossible? Remember God. Remember, you don't even know what His power is able to do, but it is exceedingly, abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think. This is what Ephesians 3.20 tells us. Pray, ask God for the biggest, most impossible things that will give Him glory, and just watch what He will do. I even ask God to give me impossible prayers, things I haven't or can't even imagine, and He does. This is what reading and meditating on Genesis chapter 1, line for line, does for me. It increases my faith to believe God for impossible things. If your faith is struggling and weak, then fortify and strengthen it by reading Genesis 1 over and over, slowly and intentionally. Read it until you really believe it. It'll change your life. So as you continue reading verses 6 through 25, 
The actual days of creation commenced by God simply speaking them into existence. The light, then separating light from darkness. The separation of the waters above and below the expanse. The heavens and then the waters and the dry land are separated. Then all the vegetation was created and sprouted and began to grow. And then the lights, which we assume are the sun and moon, were created. But those lights were created after the vegetation was created. Wait, doesn't that seem out of order? We know vegetation needs light. But remember, in the beginning, God. God can do anything. And if he can be the light of the new heaven and the new earth, as described in Revelation 21, then why can't he begin creation in the very same way? So think about this. Since God himself just spoke all things into creation and then caused vegetation growth without the sun, then I must realize he is able to sustain the earth today also, no matter the earth's problems, for long as he chooses. God is greater than any carbon emissions, warming, cooling, or any pollutants humans can create by using the things God already created. Don't we think God knew how we would progress with technology and lifestyles and that just by being inhabitants of this world, we would create pollutants? I think he knew. The earth and our atmosphere is so complex and has so many cycles. But remember, the world is still his creation, and God is the one responsible for sustaining it. What are a few pollutants to God anyway? With one word, if he chooses, he can speak them all away, just like he spoke creation into existence. And maybe he has on a few occasions that science doesn't know anything about. Now, that doesn't absolve us of caretaking responsibility. We are to be good stewards of God's creation. It is His. We even read about this responsibility in the Genesis record. We do have responsibility and can do things to make our planet safer and cleaner for sure. But we don't have the power to save the planet. There is an entire generation of young people absolutely terrified that the world is going to incinerate within their young lifetime. They live in absolute terror. It really angers me that in recent years, people have really ginned up climate hype that creates so much anxiety in young, impressionable people. Young people haven't had enough years under them to have context in order to process the threats that they hear about every single day. So, of course, they're afraid and terrified and filled with anxiety and taking anti-anxiety drugs as young as 12 years old, I've heard. You see, if children are raised without biblical understanding about God and creation and that he loves and cares for us, that he has a plan, they will be living a hopeless and unanchored life. They'll just be out there bobbing about, nothing to hold on to, searching for hope, searching for signs that everything will be okay. But without God, they simply won't find hope, and they will become hopeless souls because all of their efforts to save the world will fall short. But we have this hope as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. That's Hebrews 6.19. 
The most important thing we can do for our children is to anchor them in the Lord and His Word. This is why the Genesis record is so important. It doesn't create anxiety, but it alleviates anxiety. There is a plan, and God is for us. And no matter how many restrictions are inflicted on the citizens of this planet, God has a plan, and no plan of His will be thwarted. This is what Job 42.2 says. Ultimately, however God chooses, one day there will be a new earth as described in Revelation. This isn't a scary promise, but an exciting and hopeful promise. And then God created his magnum opus, man and woman, and the very first blessing by God was spoken. The Bible is the only religious book that makes a distinction about the importance and value of human beings from the creation story to the redemption story. So on the sixth day of creation, and this is from verse 26 now, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Isn't that beautiful? Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. When God made Adam the first man, Adam had something God did not. Adam had the first physical body. The Bible tells us God is spirit from John 4.24, not flesh. So until God brought forth his own self, Jesus, he hadn't experienced the fragility of the flesh. It's pretty amazing to consider that while we are made in the image of our creator, God, Jesus, God incarnate, made himself in our image. It's pretty mind-blowing to try and process that. And the scriptures say that God also made woman in his image, both man and woman, were designed by God with unique characteristics that together and only together, they have the blessed ability by God to reproduce themselves. So I don't need to tell you about the rise of the destructive philosophical and often political efforts that take advantage of people who are confused about their gender, especially children, and then lead them into an even more confusing and dangerous transgendered lifestyle. This confusion is a lie from Satan. So how should Bible-believing Christians deal with this issue? How should we respond? Always with love and compassion. Remember, above all, God has created every human being, and every human being, whether they acknowledge him or not, still bear his image. We must remember that. And remember also, God doesn't need defending. He really doesn't. He doesn't want us to be defensive and outraged all the time, but he does want us to be his image bearers as his ambassadors to accurately represent him and his gospel. Jesus said, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be as shrewd as snakes and yet harmless as doves. That's Matthew 10, 16. Sometimes our defensiveness and our outrage does more harm than good. We just need to be balanced and led by the Holy Spirit, not our defensive flesh. 
While preparing this podcast, I remembered when my husband Larry's older brother, Danny, became sick with AIDS. He lived in San Francisco, and so we didn't see Danny often, but spoke with him on the phone a lot, especially when he became very sick. In one of the last phone conversations Larry had with Danny, he volunteered to say that he had confessed his sin and had asked Jesus to be his Lord and Savior. That day changed Danny's position from earth to heaven, not the day he died. I'm so thankful the Lord led us to be serpent-wise and yet dove-gentle in all of our interactions with Danny. Danny died on October 15, 1995, and Larry was asked by his mother to read scripture and share a few words at the memorial. And so Larry shared about Danny's confession of his sin and that he received the Lord as his Savior, knowing that that San Francisco church would be filled with his like-minded friends. Larry also shared these words from this precious hymn, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Well, later on, while we were at Larry's sister's home for a gathering of close friends and family, there was a young man there, and he was wearing a dress, heels, and red lipstick, and he came up to Larry, and he told Larry that he wanted to speak with him about something And so we moved outside to a private area, and that man really surprised us by what he said. He said, you know what? You're right. And he also said that he remembered singing that hymn in church with his mom, but that he had forgotten. He had forgotten all about that. We both hugged him, and we prayed a short prayer over him. It still felt incomplete and unfinished but he wasn't going to stay. He smiled at us, and he said he had to leave, and he left. I don't have any idea what has become of that man. I don't even really remember the features of his face, but I do remember what I saw in his eyes, tears, sadness, conflict, and pain. That man was in a fight for his life, for eternal life. And I know we feel like we're in a fight of our lives, too, today. Attacks on every side. But just think about this perspective for a moment. You may not see the conflict and pain within those who oppose you. You only see rebellion, abrasive and foul words, haughtiness, and maybe even threats. But in your righteous indignation, and maybe even in your activism, remember they are in the fight for their life, for their eternal life. They just don't know it, but you do, and that's the responsibility you have. You don't have to win the argument. The goal isn't to shred someone who is on their way to hell. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul, We preach Christ crucified, 1 Corinthians 1.23. So simple, but that's where the power is, not in our arguments. It's the cross. And I want to read a quote from Oswald Chambers because I think he really balances this well. He says, if I talk my own talk, it is of no more importance to you than your talk is to me. But if I talk the truth of God, you will meet it again, and so shall I. 
We have to concentrate on the great point of spiritual energy, the cross. Keep in contact with that center because that is where all the power lies and the energy will be let loose. Isn't that good? We just need to stay focused and not get distracted by the antics that we're surrounded with every day. So the story of creation is miraculous. It cannot be explained apart from God. It is incomprehensible, yet laid out very simply. Genesis chapter 1 is full of hope and security. It gives balance to our lives and keeps our perspectives straight. We realize that since God created all of this, what should we ever fear or worry about? And even though God rested on the seventh day of creation, as you can read about in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he remains a creator. He didn't shelve that attribute about himself on the seventh day. He can and does still call into existence that which does not exist. And remember, all humans are created by God in his image. No matter how difficult, odd, or even mean they may be, they only create opportunities for us to perform his great commission and to show them by our example as image bearers of God how much he really loves them. Remember, unsaved souls are in the fight for their life, eternal life. So I hope and pray this message gives you some perspective, hope, and encouragement. It is meant to be from my heart to yours, and I really do pray that the Holy Spirit ministers and speaks to you. God bless you, friends.